you. You may be seated. In this week uh, that uh, leads up uh, from Palm Sunday to Easter, there's something that I like to do. I like to uh, every day think about what Jesus did that day of the week of the last week of his earthly life. I like to wake up on Tuesday morning and say, no, wait a minute, what, what did Jesus do today, uh, 2,000 years ago on this Tuesday? And uh, I, this, this morning, I'd like to take you through that uh, kind of thing, give you an overview of that week, and uh, I just hope it'll be a time of, or a thing that uh, really draws you close to Jesus, too, is you think about the things he did for you and me. He didn't do those things for himself, for his own acclaim. He did those for you. He did those for me because we're sinners. We've, we've disobeyed God. And he wanted us to give us the privilege of being right with our Heavenly Father, and that's what he's done. The uh, gospel writers, very interesting that, you know, the four gospel writers, they documented the important events of Jesus' life. Did you know that uh, they dedicated either like one-fourth to one-third of their gospel to just the last seven days of his life, last eight days of his life? Because that was the most important thing. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to look at that from the book of Matthew. And if you, if you use a Bible for your reading during the week, a you know, page Bible, you can actually write these days you know, as you come to each of those sections. Or if you use your electronic Bible, you can put a note there yourself. Uh, and I, I just hope that uh, this will be an encouragement to you. We're going to look at Sunday, Palm Sunday. Of course, today is Palm Sunday, the day we observe that. And it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 21. Now... When they drew near to Jesus, to, to, excuse me, to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and then bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say to them, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he'll send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought him the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set Jesus on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the disciples who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus. This is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. We talk in these two weeks leading up to Easter about cross training. Everything that Jesus did, he was preparing for the cross. He was training himself, but he was also training his followers. And if you or I are followers of Jesus Christ, he says to us, he says, take up your cross. It's important for us to do our cross training as well so that we follow Jesus. 
Now, as you read this passage, I mean, there's so much in it, but I want you to think about this. Why did Jesus ask his disciples to go and make the arrangements? You know, to arrange for the, uh, the donkey, okay? To uh, prepare the way. Why, why did he ask his disciples? I mean, he could have ordered angels to do that, right? I mean, he could have booked this all on Travelocity, you know, not having to worry about it. But he, he specifically involved his disciples in the process. Why did he do that? Well, it was part of their cross-training. You know, it took a lot of courage for Jesus' followers to do what they did. To assemble, to line the streets of Jerusalem or the pathway going down to Jerusalem and to praise him publicly on Palm Sunday. It took a lot of courage for them to do that. They were risking the wrath of Rome because they were calling Jesus the king. Hey, the Romans had installed a king, Herod. This was an act of rebellion. They risked being punished by the powerful Jewish leaders, being disbarred from the synagogue and Jewish life. They risked being mocked by their peers. What do you... What are you, crazy calling some carpenter from, from Galilee the king? It took a lot of courage for them to do that. But you know, they've been with Jesus now for the past 2,000 years. <laughs> Do you think there was ever a day they regretted it? That they took the risk, that they had the courage? And, and I just want to challenge us all today. You know, sometimes we're afraid. Afraid what others will think of us if we praise Jesus. On April 30th, 1945, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. Three days later, the Allied soldiers marched into Berlin to take down the Nazis. In the six years of World War II, it's estimated that 75 million people died. What if when those Allied soldiers, you know, marched into Berlin and started taking captives, what if, what if they captured a Nazi and, and he said, you know something, i got to tell you, I was really on your side the whole time. I mean, what a, what a cowardly thing to do. You know, as I think about that, I don't want to be a cowardly follower of Jesus. I don't want my, my being a Christian to be a secret. And, and so I'm going to suggest to you there are some exercises for our cross training. And here's the first one. Why don't we decide that we are going to praise Jesus publicly? Why not at the end of the service, you know, when that's dismissed, immediately, you know, start talking about the weather, the rain coming, the sports, the masters, the, you know, everything going on. Why don't we talk about how Jesus, how great he is and praise him? And why don't we do it publicly? Uh, I've decided that when I go into stores, you know, and go through the checkout line, you know, 
most of them are trained to ask you, like, how are you doing today? I tell them. I tell them. And I just ask God to give me some right words. And, you know, so often I'm able to say, you know, I am just so happy. You know, God is so good. He sent his son to die in my place so I could be forgiven of all my sins. And they go, That's wonderful. <laughs> Every day you're given opportunity. Why don't we do something like that? Well, we're afraid that people think we're weird. Well, let's be weird. Let's be, let's praise him. He deserves it, doesn't he? Let's let people know. Why are we so afraid? We all have our fears. And one of the greatest fears we have is, you know, saying something that's really important. I'm sure there have been many times in your life when you wanted to say something that was really important and you were just really afraid. You know what? I don't think I've ever been more afraid to say anything than the night I said, Donna, will you marry me? I don't know why, man. I was just shaking like a leaf. I was just so nervous, you know. And so I planned it all, you know. And I decided, hey, we're going to stop at this uh, scenic overlook that overlooks the skyline of Manhattan at night, the Hudson River, and then the skyline. I needed all the help I could get. <laughs> and, you know, I also I wanted to do it late at night when it was really dark because uh, Donna had a detached retina when she was young, and her, vis her night vision wasn't good. And I figured, you know... <laughs> and fortunately, she said yes, okay? I was shaking like a leaf at it. I didn't believe I was going to, but I really was. But you know what overcame my fear? My love for Donna. And um, John was one of Jesus' disciples. And he explained something to that is just so important. He said this. See, because we all have fears. You know what he said? Love casts out fears. And that's what, I, that's what happened the night I asked Donna to marry me. My love for her was stronger than my fear. And I think we as Christ followers ought to ask God to give us a love for his son that casts out our fears. What happened Monday? Matthew 21, 12. When then Jesus went into the temple and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. Whoa. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. Wow. What made Jesus so irate? What was going on? Well, you see, the priests had told people that for them to make their sacrifice, which they had to do, that they had, for them to have their sins forgiven, they had to offer exactly the right kind of animal sacrifice. Or they had to give exactly the right kind of coins, which the priests then sold at inflated prices at the temple flea market. They were making money. 
lots of money. Why did Jesus overthrow their tables? Because money had become their God. Jesus overturned the tables because, friend, he came to overturn the other gods that we are so prone to have in our lives. When uh, it was discovered that Josh had uh, Lyme disease and that that had just kind of really overtaken, kind of destroyed his immune system, uh, we were told that we needed to get rid of a lot of chemicals, you know, in our house. We had to, you know, purge our house of a lot of things and we had to get rid of them. Well, here's, I think, a good exercise for us. Get rid of and overthrow the other gods in our lives. We're, we're tempted by so many of them. Money, pleasure, social media, sports. I mean, we just have all kinds of, of gods that scream out for our attention every day. And, and that's why we give so much of our day to them and, and have so little of our day to give to God, get rid of, overthrow the other gods. That's what Jesus did on Monday. What did he do on Tuesday? Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus taught. All day Tuesday, he taught. He taught in the temple, and they weren't responsive. And so he went out in the courts and in the streets, and he taught all day. And I think one of his most important topics was in uh, starting in verse 36. He said to them, no one knows the day or the hour when all these things I have told you about what's going to happen. Nobody knows when they're going to happen. The angels don't know. Even the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't think about, realize, give any thought to what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that's how it's going to be when the Son of Man comes, Jesus said. Two men will be working together in the field. One of them's going to be taken, the other one's going to be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. You must keep watch. You don't know what day your Lord is coming. How many of us expected, uh, how many of us woke up this morning and said, you know, Jesus Christ might come today. How many of you thought, you know, Jesus Christ might come this week. You know, if we haven't thought that, it might be a good time. Then, hmm, when you least expect it, maybe it's going to happen. We don't know. He'll come when we least expect it. And I think that's a great exercise for us, cross-training. Be Jesus' witness. Have you ever told those you really care about that Jesus is coming back again? That's our mission. Jesus said, that's our mission. That's why I'm leaving you here. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm not taking you with me. I'm preparing a place for you. But until I do, until I come back, be my witnesses. And you see, a lot of us haven't done that because we think, well, I don't know what to say. Just tell others that Jesus rose. You know that. 
tell others that he's coming back again. You know that. I had a neighbor I really cared about. He was a wonderful neighbor. And after a few years, really, I just decided, oh, God, I know you want me to talk to Jerry. And so I just briefly share with him. In fact, it was around Easter time. Wonderful opportunity to talk about Jesus, you know, at Easter time. I said, you know, Easter's all about the fact that Jesus died on a cross for our sins and he rose again. And then I just said, Jerry, I sure do want to see you in heaven. A few years later, Jerry accepted the Lord. He told me I, I was just so shocked and so wonderfully overjoyed by that. We have that privilege. We have the privilege of helping people we care about know the truth and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Let's be witnesses. Matthew 26 tells us what Jesus did on Wednesday. Okay, excuse me, not what Jesus did, what Jesus did. Chapter 26, verse 14, this is Wednesday. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that point on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And that shocks us. I mean, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He had seen those miracles. He had experienced Jesus' love. I mean, if if there was anyone who should have loved Jesus, I mean, it, it should have been Judas. Why didn't he? He thought money would make him happy. What happened? He hanged himself. The very thing that he craved ended up being his destruction. And I don't know about you, but that speaks to me. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean that you won't make something else in your life a God, money or pleasure or possessions or something. And the point is that Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was in Judah's heart. Judas had been stealing money. We read that in one of the Gospels. He'd been stealing money from the kitty. All right? He was the treasurer of the disciples. All right? He'd been stealing money. Jesus knew that it was Judas was going to be trained. And here's what amazes me. That Jesus didn't kick him out of the disciples. Did he? He invited him to the Last Supper, didn't he? Jesus knelt down and washed his feet. The guy who was going to get up, leave, and go get the money and lead them to arrest Jesus. And that's an exercise for us in cross-training, giving mercy to those who don't deserve it. Giving mercy to those who don't deserve it. Thursday, Matthew 26. While they were eating that supper, 
Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. This is the blood of my new covenant with you, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And I tell you, brothers, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine again. Not from now on until that day comes when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And then Jesus went out and he took his disciples with him to a place called Gethsemane. That's where Jesus prayed many, many times. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And, and, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And, and there's an exercise for us in cross-training, commune with God and others. Now, I chose the word commune, a word that we don't use, okay? We use the word communion sometimes to talk about the Lord's table, but I, I can't ever remember somebody say, yeah, well, I was, the other day I was communing with so-and-so, and we don't use that word. And, you know, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's a special kind of relationship. It's a, it's a special topic. It, it, it's holy. It's sacred. And, friend, that's what God calls us to, to commune with him. And commune with others. And what is it to commune? It means you talk to God and others about things that really matter, not the things that don't. You know, there's so many things we talk about that really don't matter. And can I just encourage you this week to have some commune talks with God and some commune talks with others, maybe today at lunch. You don't talk about the things that don't matter. You talk about the things that do, that really do. Or, or maybe Thursday night. Maybe Thursday night you're going to remember, hey, th this is the night that Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples. Wow, let's talk about that. What do you think he would have done when Jesus washed your feet? What, what do you think he... he what do you think you would have done when he said to the group that was there, one of you is going to betray me? Better yet, talk about what Jesus did. Can you believe that he was willing to die in our place? See, there, there's, there's a conversation that really matters. Communing with God about things that really matter. Communing with others. That's a great exercise in cross-training. Well, let's go to Friday. We all know what happened on Friday and I just want to read just the one verse it, actually Matthew doesn't record it but Luke does in chapter 23 and there's verse 34 and he's hanging on the cross and what's he say something unbelievable Father forgive them we don't know what they're doing Wow, that's an exercise in cross-training, forgiving. 
forgiving those who hurt us deeply. Who haven't you forgiven? They hurt you. You still feel the pain. You still withdraw from them. You're not doing anything overtly to hurt them, but you're hurting them with your silence, with your lack of forgiveness. But they may not even know <laughs> that you're trying to hurt them. Even more tragic is you're hurting God. He let his son die so that he would and could forgive all your sins, but you're going to withhold forgiveness from someone else. You're hurting God, but then, friend, you're hurting yourself. Not forgiving someone is preparing poison for someone, but drinking it yourself. Poison your own spirit. Forgive. Who haven't you forgiven? You know, we probably all got someone or some people in our life we haven't forgiven. And that robs us of the joy and the victory in our Christian life. No, they don't deserve it. We don't deserve God's forgiveness either. But that's what Jesus calls his followers to do. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Saturday. There's nothing in the Gospels about Saturday. We, we don't know. It, it's, it's silent, okay? And I think it's interesting because, well, for one thing, it was the Sabbath. It was the seventh day of the week. We don't worship anymore on the Sabbath. We don't, okay? Because we like to worship on the day that Jesus rose from the death, like on the first day. But uh, it was the Sabbath, and there's no mention of it uh, in, in the Bible. And, you know, it was supposed to be God's, God, God from the very beginning set a Sabbath. He did it himself. For six days he did the work of creation, and on the seventh day he what? He rested, okay? And, and it's one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, the most forgotten one of all. If you ask people, can you name the Ten Commandments? They can usually tell you nine. And, and the Sabbath day is often forgotten, okay? And you see, we, we don't think it's important. And, and in fact, we think that rest means you don't do anything, okay? No, rest means you do something very, very important. You replenish you refuel, you refocus spiritually and mentally and physically and emotionally and relationally. God made our bodies to need rest. You have to, your body has to sleep every day for it to be healthy. God made our bodies so that they have to sleep. God made our spirits so that they need rest and worship every seven days. God designed our body. That's the way he made them. If you were flying from uh, Tampa to Australia, you would have to make at least one stop, okay? 
Why? Because that plane needs to refuel, okay? Would, would you want to be in a plane where, with a pilot who decided he just didn't want to stop? What would happen? You'd crash. And friend, a lot of us crash spiritually and emotionally and relationally because we don't rest. We don't refuel. We don't worship God as he commanded. Rest. Rest. You might know what happened on Sunday. I hope you do. I hope next Easter, next Sunday morning, you just wake up and you're thinking about the fact that you can have all your sins forgiven because Jesus walked out of that tomb. God would not let him stay there. He had accepted the sacrifice that he made for our sins and he brought him out. Matthew chapter 28, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled away that stone, sat on it. His face was shining like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a deep faint. Then the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said. He said it would happen. He promised you, come see where his body was lying. And now you go quickly and you tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You're going to see him there. Remember exactly what I've told you. What did the women do? They ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but they were filled with great joy and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them again. He greeted them and they ran to him. They grasped his feet. They worshiped him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. And there they'll see me. What's the exercise for us who want to follow Christ? Come and see. Come and see. Remember that Jesus is not in that tomb. One of the greatest six. Oh, it was it was just great. We had the privilege of going to Holy Land. There's one tomb that they think it's uh, possible that that was the tomb in which Jesus was laid. And just looking at this tomb, this empty tomb, and remembering that Jesus is not in a tomb. He is risen just as he said. Come and see that. Now, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to see that. You know it's the reality. You can see it in your mind and in your heart that that is the reality, come and see. And then what? Go and tell. You see, that's the other side of it. Go and tell. And I want you to notice from there that every time it talks about the, the women or the disciples moving, what are they doing? They're running. They're rushing. They couldn't wait to tell others. And friend, that's the mission that Jesus has given. Go and tell. Be white witnesses. Tell them. Tell them, tell them, I'm alive. And God is ready to welcome you into his fellowship, into his family as a child of God. All your sins forgiven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back again. Go and tell. And that's our mission. Go and tell. I hope that this week you'll go and tell. I, I hope that God will lay on your heart to, 
to invite someone to next week's service to. There's a card in your bulletin today. All right? Give to somebody. Somebody you care about. Or take a picture of it with your phone. Send it. Send it to people. Personally invite them. That's our mission. That's what Christ followers do. They don't keep it to themselves. They go and tell. They go and tell. They go and tell. Father, as we read these words, as we read what you did, they're so familiar to us. We know what you did. And some of us have lost the passion. Some of us are so afraid that someone might think we're a little bit weird that we never talk about Jesus. And that's why we're here. We have the greatest news of all and we're keeping it to ourselves. Oh God, please help us to go and tell. We all have people that you have put in our life in need, Jesus. Some family members, some co-workers, some neighbors, some good friends. They need Jesus. God, help us to go and tell. Help us to go and tell. Help us to bring others into your family because that is your great desire. Give us, dear Father, the passion for the lost people that you have. That like Jesus' disciples, like these women who followed him, nothing could make us be silent. We have to tell. Lord, this week, Holy Week, we call it. I pray it be holy in our lives. A reality that we would be walking through with you as you walked each day of that week to the cross and then out of the tomb. Thank you, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen.